This is Mind Your Body, a dance movement therapy perspective on the integration of our emotional, cognitive, physical, and spiritual aspects of our being into one more aware and whole existence. So today on Mind Your Body, we have Elena Shaw, who has been a dance creative healer facilitator for over 30 years. And um, I'm so honored to have you here. And of course, I'll let you introduce yourself in your own words um, and tell us about, you know, a little bit about you and the work that you're doing right now in this world. Well, thank you. Well, um, I'm really glad to be here with you. And especially right now in this time when we're trying to figure out how we can um, have some kind of uh, make a difference in any way at all. So thank you for having me on your show. Um, yeah, well, our, our work is primarily focused on the youth and their caretakers. That is all the educators, all the after care providers, after school providers, all of the um, parents, all the people who are yeah, responsible for uh, the loving and nurturing of these kids and as well as the communities that surround them. As we worked over the last 30 years, we found that truly um, uh, so much of it depends on the communities themselves coming together in a way to support the kids and to advocate for the kids. So um, yeah, we also work with all ages up to 105 and we do a lot of work with little preschoolers, which has been very big um, in the last five years, a big uh, focus of ours on the school readiness. And it's all through the creative arts. So it's all through movement and drumming and sound and singing and art and um, uh, play of one kind or another as much as possible. Um, so this is really, you know, I think you probably saw that incredible thing, but if you want to create a new neuron in your brain, and I'm very passionate about how do we work with the neural structure of the brain, and um, because that's what where all change happens, right? That if you're doing, um, if you're trying to help somebody learn something, they have to repeat it 400 times in order to birth a new baby neuron. Um, I love the concept of a baby neuron; it has such hope in it, um, but if you're playing, it only takes 10 to 20 repetitions. So we're going from 400 to 20 in order to be able to make a change. And I just, I think that's just one of the most powerful pieces of information that's come into my awareness in the last 30 years, because it's, it's not something that we culturally have been led to believe, you know, and, we not only don't let our children play enough, we don't play with our children enough, we don't play in our schools, we don't play ourselves, right? And um, so I think one of the things I tell the young dancers in all the universities and the young, young women and men studying for, um, uh, to become movement therapists of one kind or another is they already know so much more than they know they know just by being able to play in their bodies you know they have something that a gift to bring without doing anything else you know um so it, i think uh we have 
we have reached literally over, well over, well, way over 100,000 kids across the U.S. in the last 30 years. And we have watched them make significant changes over and over again, often with only a weak residency. And um, the, the difference that can happen so quickly if you're, if you're actually addressing the neural structure of the brain through movement, through embodiment. And um, it's, it's, it's getting myself in these times and everybody around me and everybody that we encounter into the body that is our passion because we believe that that is absolutely the fundamental mechanism of change. And it is from there that we can heal ourselves. And from there, we have a chance of healing this earth, which um, we all are quite aware of the need right now for that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. And thanks for that awesome statistic. Like I, I emphasize and prioritize play in my work with healing trauma, um, helping women heal trauma and, you know, it's just, it's so important, but I've never heard it in that, in those numbers where I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Um, and it why is. this works so quickly and, um, and yeah, it's, it's really one of the most common things that comes up is I never play anymore. Well, I work more with adult women, but I never play anymore. It's, I have to work. I have to, you know, I'm busy. I got to go do this, I got all these things to take care of. So, um, it's amazing to bring that back through the body and see the change that that creates. And yeah, I want to add one thing that you made yeah. me think of, which is that, um, you know, you're saying you work with adult women who don't play, but we work in high schools in, um, that are last chance high schools, basically for kids in LA who are in high, who are 14 to 17 and haven't, haven't become fully literate. So reading, writing, those things, because they mostly got lost in language challenges very young and gave up. And um, one of the things that happens over and over is the principals, the teachers stand and watch us with the kids. And they say over and over, we've never seen these kids smile. We've never seen them play. We've never seen them work together like this. We've never seen them have fun together. You know, it's, it's a very depressive environment, a lot of these places where they have to, they're under a lot of pressure to, you know, to learn, <laughs> whatever that means, right? So I just, I love what you said about, you know, adult women, it's true. It's true of our kids. Our kids stop playing very young. Mm. Yeah, thank you for bringing that to our attention too. So do you do you go to different schools and different places? Like how does this work? Yeah, that's a good question. We have organizations around the country and people who are trained to do the work. And what we do is work with the administrators and teachers to bring a program into the school. And so it, that could be once a week for eight weeks, or that could be five intensive days with the kids. And the kids, they play movement games, theater games, they make up their own dances, they take pictures of each other, they write ad hoc poems with a huge pile of 5,000 words that they just choose words from and make poems with. They interview each other. They do research often about what, where they came from, what's one of the roots in their community that they don't know about, all these different things. And, and out of the sort of layering of the arts, um, they build sets using big giant origami pieces or collages that they make, you know. So out of all of that, they then perform at the end of the week. 
and for, for the, a community that doesn't normally see them. So it's very important because these are very invisible parts of our population. And, and that's part of what is happening right now is a desperate attempt to be visible. And we have just taken huge populations and, and disappeared them from our stories and our culture, from our grocery stores even. You know, it, it, the segregation is phenomenal to me in terms of socioeconomic, socioeconomic segregation especially. Um, you know, from, from where you buy your groceries to where you go to church, it's all that whole spectrum. Anyway, so yeah, so it's very, very rewarding work, very exciting. And we have a facilitator program where people can become certified to bring this work into the schools and we mentor them and go in with them and we're with them to start. And, and um, <clears throat> you know, for the most part, it's, it, it, it has been very easy to get access to the kids, but that is changing as there's more fear of letting outsiders into the schoolroom for all kinds of reasons. So um, we've been really grateful that the, our track record allows us to stay in the, in the schools and to bring new young people in because a lot of people in their late 20s and early 30s who are desperately looking, it's a phenomenally beautiful population that's coming, that's rising up and they're looking for some way to make an impact, to make a difference. And we have one piece of that puzzle, you know, it's a big puzzle, but it's a good piece. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you described the process and at the end they put on the show and I, yeah, immediately thought, oh, they get to be seen and heard. And, that's right. And, and expressing themselves and who they are. So that's amazing that you give them that opportunity. Um, so, yeah, you, you told me, we were chatting a little bit before we hit the record button and you told me that you just wrote a book. Is that recently, or can you tell us more about oh, it? No, I think it's, gosh, the latest book, I think, may, I was just trying to figure that out. I was going to look when it was published, <laughs> but it's two or three years old now. Oh. Uh, the, the first book we put out was called Dancing Our Way Home, and it has hundreds of exercises you can do with the kids, exactly how to do them, all the things we do in the schools. We're now writing an addendum to that with all the new things we've developed, because that was published back in 2000. Um, and also it has ways to get communities performing, which is very important, that look beautiful, that are not about setting movement on people, but allowing their own authentic movement and the beauty of who they are to present. So you don't have people cringing during the show as, you know, as, as people try to do things that have nothing to do with them or their bodies or who they are. And the third section of the book is actual um, six-week courses that you can teach in the schools with everything you would need, exercises, what materials you need, you know. And that's been valuable for a lot of our young dance people who um, already have a lot of ideas. And so they take that template and add in all of their beautiful creativity to it. And, and it makes something better than anything we could make up, you know. But it holds the... It holds the most important thing, which is our, our commitment to an unconditionally loving container. And that's what the book is really trying to hold for people is see what is the essence? What are we trying to do here? Because most of the kids we work with come in expecting to get the same kind of judgments they always get. And 
the important thing is to have a container that allows them to come in exactly as they are and establish their norms as a group, which they do really quickly in a positive environment. Um, you see big changes really quickly if they're allowed to just arrive, you know, and be who they are. So, and, and to be um, spontaneous, you know, there's so little spontaneous and play are kind of the same word, right? And then the second, the second book, which came out the last couple or three years, is called The Body Now. And it's about how do we as facilitators and healers and therapists and teachers and all the people, how do we get out of our own way so we actually can hold a loving container? What are all the processes that we can go through gently and kindly through movement and music and sound with ourselves to... Um, arrive with a very clean container into the classroom. Because as the years went on, it became really obvious that the most important part of our training was giving people an opportunity in their own way, in their own rhythm, to find what they wanted to release and let go of and, and heal in themselves so they don't bring those stories to the classroom. I mean, it's the same thing over and over again. We have... Uh, it's what's going on on the earth right now. We have hundreds of thousands, probably more than we'll ever know, stereotypic responses to things. So it's an ongoing lifelong process. We're always cleaning, you know. We're always needing to let go of something. So, you know, I'll, I, I had a, I've had experiences where I immediately had fear of some young men coming into the classroom, big, tall, strong, you know, not, I think who were there so they could have their basketball credit or something, you know, and, and it always is wrong. It always turns out to be total made up story. Right. And instead it'll be some young little woman who looks totally unthreatening, who'll give me the worst trouble as a facilitator. Right. And, uh, and these big guys will be helping me and on my team. And, you know, they, uh, it, it, all the stories we make up are just wrong. You know, they, they just never are right. I mean, even, I still, even at 73 years of age, I still have to keep being shocked at, I make up a story and then I get the information and I was just not right. The story was totally from the 90% of my brain that is memory. So, and they're now saying 95% of the brain is memory, which means I've only got 5% of my brain available for new information, for a new story. The good news is the heart brain is very available and we didn't know that, you know, so if we focus more on the heart, we have a better chance of bringing in that new information. But we just mostly respond from memory and and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that as long as we're consciously deciding how we want to respond, you know? Right. Right. It's that, that first awareness can be from memory, but we can choose to respond differently. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Much more succinct. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, I love the way you described it too and, and getting in touch with the heart brain. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what it is. Like, we, we may not expect or we may expect too quickly to not have these, uh, these hidden biases or these impulse judgments or stereotypes, but the reality is they're there and we can't just make it disappear. And it's, it's better to acknowledge them and then we get to choose too how to, how to move forward and behave from there now. 
That's exactly what better way to do that than movement, right? And embody yeah. because, you know, behavior is action and action is, you know, it stems from our body. Our bodies are um, the vehicle for which we interact and act and behave in the world. So I, I just love that you're doing this work through embodiment. And uh, one thing that you, so something that you wanted to talk about today is birthing the Yes Collective. And I'd love if you could explain what that is and how you're birthing this movement. Well, I think um, that's probably all we've been talking about, you and I, in the last few moments. It's like um, it, there are specific things, like how do we say yes to everything inside ourselves, yes to every bit and nook and cranny of us, and especially the parts that we don't like. Um, I was just on a, a corporate Zoom call this morning, and one of the participants said, I hate that part of myself. And I knew immediately, though it's not my place to um, uh, find this for him, that until he loves that part of himself, it will never change, right? I mean, is that, there's no more important yes than the yes to ourselves. Um, and I grew up in an exceptionally abusive environment as a young child, stories nobody would even want to hear. And, and I... And I've found over the years, and, and raising seven children of my own, what it meant to be to find the yes to every situation that we're in, and and how much that opens the creativity. It's really more something that you and I know about from all the dance work. It's about releasing the fear, and as, as long as the fear is there, we have no creative response available, as we know, and. But once we come into what is the yes and here, you know, what is the next step? What, what walks me out of this? It will almost always be something that needs loving inside of us. Some part of ourselves that wants to be seen and acknowledged and loved, just like the kids we work with want to be seen and acknowledged and loved, you know? And um, I mean, I think probably the most, I mean, my most passionate desire is that the whole earth will come to a yes for everybody so that we we really do feel the validity and value and magic and contribution of every single human being every single human being has their gift to bring and we miss so much of that in our culture by not inviting that in you know with a yes right <laughs> And so all the work in the, the new book, The Body Now, is about finding that yes through journeys, through meditations, through games, through play. And I should say, just so people know, that associated with the book, there's 19 recorded journeys that you can take with the incredibly beautiful music of Jesse Mono, who's a, a world-class musician who's traveled everywhere with us and traveled all over the world. So, so I, I keep saying that not so much as an advertisement, but to say, I, I don't think, I don't, that book is offering movement, not thought, not philosophy. There's a lot of philosophy and story in there, but with it is what you really need, which is to do it, do it yourself in your living room with nobody watching <laughs> and drop in and find that inner landscape and what needs healing and loving in there. Yeah. And I like how you bring it back to, our inner child and 
you know, I feel like we're kind of circling back to the beginning of our conversation where, you know, even as adults, um, and, and you, you just briefly mentioned on growing up in an abusive environment. Like, I know that with my clients who've experienced trauma in their childhood, when we do this work through movement, it's like the inner child needs to be so seen. And it's like, you kind of have to go back in time to when you no longer had permission to be a child and play and, and go through those developmental stages, uh, you know, through your body, through play, through movement, and go back and see her and recognize her. Um, because it's just, you're just kind of stunted. And that's, that's what kind of brings out uh, the feeling a lot of the feeling of like, I'm so unseen, right? Even like victim patterns and, and feeling so neglected because it's like your development kind of stops there when you experience such difficult things. Yeah, invisibility is the whole story at that point. <laughs> right. right, And so, yeah, you were saying we have to see ourselves and, and really um, move through that fear, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love what you said. Uh, I think um, uh, it begins with that young child for sure. And one of the things that um, I've really noticed is that it, 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 that the healing is developmental. So the next phase is to heal the adolescent. And that's where so much of our rage and anger and sense of victim and oppression gets grounded. You know, uh, at little ones, we sometimes still keep hoping but once we hit adolescence, a lot of our, our youngsters give up. And so that's a very important healing place. And if you haven't healed your adolescent story, you're going to have a hard time dealing with these kids we deal with. Because <laughs> yeah. they right. just, they'll just nail you. I mean, if you, if you come in with any agendas for them or anything, any belief that you know what they're feeling or who they are, you're done. You know, it's like, it's amazing to the, the learning curve of stepping into an environment with openness is huge. Yeah. Yeah. You're bringing me back to my days where I worked with adolescents in the psychiatric hospital and oh, those first couple of years were really hard, really triggered all yes. my, my unhealed points from my adolescence. So yes, I was there. I getcha. Yeah. I know anyone who's listening to this who, who worked, who works currently or has worked with adolescents definitely understands in their core what that means. Um, but yeah, one of the things that you were mentioning um, is improvisation, right? Spontaneity. Can you talk a little bit more about how you, you help the, the kids, teenagers with, with this skill? Well, I think, you know, the first thing is, to realize that life is a huge improvisation every minute of every day, right? We're improvising right now, constantly, right now, you and I. Um, and if you can bring that improvisation into the body, then we're bringing presence to those kids and all of their preferences and all of their ideas and all of their, their body knowing and all of it starts to emerge in improvisation. If they're, if they're learning something that's put on them, which is also valuable, very valuable, um, uh, that's one way that they can come into relationship to their body and find the strength and skill of their body, right? 
But we find that when we turn them loose, they discover amazing things. And for one thing, they laugh and laugh and laugh. And part of that's because they feel silly. Well, great. You know, I hope they feel silly, right? And part of it's because they actually are feeling a release in their visceral self, a, a sense of joy. They're actually playing with each other. So I just, um, sometimes I think I answer all of these things um, <laughs> too philosophically, so to speak. And so an example is that you might run, and this is an, not an exercise, this is an exercise many people have seen, you might run someplace in the room and your little team that you're with, three other kids, will run after you and make a shape around you. And we've made an agreement, not a rule, but an agreement that we won't touch each other so nobody will get crushed or fall down. But other than that, they can do whatever they want. Although we now have to say, please don't make gang symbols with your hands because then we can't use the pictures in your video because we make a video for them that they can keep at the end of the week. So anyway, and then somebody else runs and three people run around them and somebody else runs and three people run around them. And you would think, what is that? And we've had people say, I don't understand how them running around outside is doing anything for them. You know, this is, I have curriculum I need to teach. I do not know why we're doing this, right? And, and there's so many things happening in those moments. There's leading and being followed. There's following and doing, you know, doing something in relation to somebody else. There's honoring and seeing each other. There's laughter, there's play, and there's making shapes with your body, which means you're activating your whole brain and parts of your brain you haven't activated ever in your life possibly because we found out that of the 3,000 movements that can be charted in a six-month-old child, that's down to under 300 by the time our kids enter preschool. And they have some middle school environments where they can't even chart 15 or 20 movements in the kids. They have so condensed their bodies to stay safe. They don't even look up, not even eye movements, you know. And so we've taken all that creative body knowing and condensed it into this little teeny avenue of what is acceptably, acceptable social movement, what we can do and not do and not be inappropriate, out of line, out of order, all the ways. And mostly it's sitting and being quiet. That's the best of all. Anyway, I, I don't want to get on a soapbox here, but it's unbelievable to see what happens when you let these kids back into their movement. And it's there. It's all there. It comes right out when they're given a chance. So that's just a small example of a little improvisational exercise. You know, we have ones with language and ones with um, art and ones with lots of theater exercises for the kids, you know, that are, that are all just playful, just see what happens. And right. very, very careful not to have them need, not to have them seen too quickly. In other words, they're not performing for each other. They're all playing at the same time at first, you know, so they can be a little more uninhibited, right? I mean, it's like that being uninhibited is a ticket to intelligence. And we don't know that in our culture. <laughs> or Maybe we're learning it, you know. It's really different than it was 30 years ago. That's the good news. There are lots of people who do really know that, that movement and play and breath and, you know, vitality actually do matter in the learning process.
Right. So, so one of the things we're doing is creating little 10 minute brain breaks in this time when we can't be in the classroom. So the teachers could throw something up on their whiteboard, you know, that, that gives the kids 10 minutes of, of a game that we're running. So the teachers don't have to learn it or run it and get the kids up and moving and get their brains going again, get their blood flowing again, and then sit back down to work. And as you know, the research on that is over the top. I mean, the amount of learning that happens increases exponentially if they just move every 30 minutes any way you can get them to move, so. Yeah, well, that's yeah. a good lesson for us all, I think, is. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> the first thing that you brought up with, with, the, with what you just said was that the educators are like, I don't get it, what are we doing? What's the point, right? And I know that so well from working in collaboration, uh, doing ther dance therapy in schools and uh, yeah. even just my clients today who are like, what's the, but what's the point of this? Right. And yes, are like, where are we going? You know, we have such a, like a productivity goal oriented culture um, where, yep. you know, it's like, yeah, you could just spend even five minutes a day take, you know, or five minutes, five minute breaks through your day where, um, you know, inevitably most of us in our work, we, we have those goals and we need those goals, but, you know, we also, there's just so much value in just being, just listening, just following your impulses and tuning in and expressing yourself the way that your body is asking you to, even for five minute breaks a day. Oh, I love what you said about your body is asking you to. That is so beautiful because that's, that's the piece that's, that's so fresh in our culture is what would happen if we followed our body? You know, what is the body asking? And many, many people who have heart attacks wouldn't have them if they just were asking their body, what is the body asking? You know, um, I'm having to do a lot more of that during this time when there's the need is so much greater and our learning curve is so steep. Asking my body, what do you need right now? And it, it's not uh, potato chips, it's movement. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> potato chips, but yeah. <laughs> well, at my age, potato chips are not really on the list. But, but I think what you said is so important because there was this beautiful research that showed that 20 minutes of movement elevates the uber transmitter the nitric oxide in the body for 24 hours so if every school started with 20 minutes of movement in the morning for 24 hours you feel better not for two hours not for four hours for 24 hours and the nitric oxide is what activates all the other neurotransmitters it's, it's the uber transmitter of all uber of all transmitters and that's just that seems like such a simple solution to me, you know, and 20 minutes is a long time. You know, when you move for 20 minutes, you go, yeah, we don't usually move for 20 minutes. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. I um, mean, it isn't a long time, but when you first wade into it, it's like, wow, you know, yeah. so a lot of the schools that we've been in have started starting the day with turning the wheel exercises so that their kids get their feelings, get to feeling better. They come out of home environments, out of homeless environments, out of cars they're living in with their mother and their little sister, out of situations that are scary and violent as we see on the, in the world right now. That's just the norm for many of these kids. And 
20 minutes of movement and play and they're, they're much more open to seeing who am I and what can I learn. So it's just, it's so simple. It's almost scary, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's simple. And, and yet there's so much resistance around doing it because, I mean, our bodies hold onto trauma and traumatic memories and feelings and sensations. And so often um, it's like, it feels too scary to go into the movement. And so there's all that resistance there. But it actually is really simple once we get through that fear, which I think is, you know, bringing back to your, your first point of saying yes more, right? Saying no to the fear more, saying yes more. Well, and we get the kids moving and playing before they know what they're doing. So we're not re-traumatizing. We're not going back into memory. You know, that's a very, that's a very controversial issue in my mind, whether it helps to re-traumatize. I grew up with every kind of therapy that was available to the human being trying to heal from my childhood. And some of it was backwards moving for me. And so I have strong feelings about that, but we just, we just get them going and playing and relating. And pretty soon you watch them, they're ready, you know, and it's, it's like, it's even some who might start on the side, you know, with their hands folded and uh, they can't resist in the course of an hour they're in. Yeah. And well, that's the beautiful thing about play is that it it tones and strengthens our nervous system and mm. requires and builds those new neural pathways without having to go back into the trauma. And that's why, like we're saying, it's so simple, right? We're saying just, you know, not just play, but, you know, it needs facilitation and guidance, but that play is so powerful. So you have um, three ways that you wanted to share that... Um, to share with us some takeaways of what we can do in movement, right? Right. I, I was laughing. I was trying to pick which three before we got on the phone because they're all... Just <laughs> improvisation, right? Exactly. I'll have Whatever to... comes up in the moment. Plus, uh, I know time is an issue and some take longer than others, but I think... I think one of the most important ones from what we've been talking about is called rocking in the arms of love. And it comes from a Native American tradition. Um, uh, and I actually learned it from Anjali Zeri. And just so um, I credit where it came from. We've changed it, of course. We change everything, but the roots of it are the same. And so let's just try it together where you would actually um, close your eyes and put your arms uh, around yourself gently so it's very very comfortable for you some people like to drop their hands down to their elbows because it's less tiring you know than this but uh, whatever feels good to you you can also just visualize doing this if that's more comfortable for you and 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 you drop into the sense of rocking in the waters in the cradle of the earth so it's like um, as if you were in a canoe and the waters were lapping around you and you're resting in the canoe and the warm sun is on your body and the, you can hear the birds and you can feel the air and smell the water and, and the canoe's just gently rocking you back and forth. So the, the Mother Earth, the great, the great, uh, benevolent giver of all life, right? The earth that we live on is rocking you in her waters. 
And as you just feel that gentle, loving motion, and you're holding your heart, your being in your arms, just imagine what is good and true and beautiful about you. Just let all kinds of things bubble up. Ways that you have given to others in your life. Animals, trees, people you have loved. The tenderness in your heart. Ways that you've received love from others. Allowed the loving in. Strengths that you've brought. Ways you've reached for making a difference. Moments when you've reached out in kindness. Just breathing and resting into letting things keep bubbling up. What is good and true and beautiful about you? Just taking a deep breath and slowly letting your eyes blink open and coming back when you're ready. And you might share with somebody you're in the room with or somebody that you love what you discovered. Maybe you saw something that you hadn't seen about you. If you were in the room with me, I could see if I'd given you enough time and how you were doing. This is a great thing to do as you fall asleep at night so that your dreams are infused with what is good and true and beautiful about you. When I first learned this, probably 40 years ago now, I'm getting so old, I don't know how many years ago things were. I, I couldn't believe the difference it made in my life to fall asleep in the place of well-being. Mm. Um, nightmares that I'd had all my life disappeared just simply by setting my unconscious up for another story. So, yeah. It's a really good intention, like a bedtime intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. You're welcome. How was that for you? Good. I felt um, a lot of calm, loving energy. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, often if you go there, you'll want to stay. <laughs> I mean, it's like the quiet and the peacefulness. It, it's hard to come out of it sometimes. So thank you, all of you listening who participated. It's uh, odd to participate via virtual world, I know. So another really simple one that lots of people are talking about now, but that 
it can't be emphasized. The value of it enough is, is putting your hand on your heart. And just before we enter a state at all, to say that when you do this, you start pumping oxytocin into your system automatically. It just takes a few seconds for that to start happening. And oxytocin is a feel-good neurotransmitter. So even if you never did anything except just put your hand on your heart, which I sometimes do when I'm starting to have fear, it will calm the amygdala. And everything is about calming the amygdala. That's how we restore well-being in ourselves and on the earth, right? I mean, the amygdala is the seed of all that fear. So yeah, it's a miracle. You just put your hand on your heart and you just breathe in through your hand and out through your hand. And using a positive inner voice, you can even say, I am here and all is well. And just let that breath come in through the heart and out through the heart. Again, it's very restful to drop into the heart brain. And there's a lot of places we can go with this, but just to stay with that simple tool, can use it over and over in the course of the day. Anytime you feel afraid, just put your hand on your heart. <clears throat> Sorry. And, and you can combine that with the cradling. And while your hand is on your heart, just say, you know, what is good and true and beautiful about you. You can put the two together. Um, in order to, I mean, I'm such a research freak, but the heart has, is a hundred times more powerful electromagnetic field than this brain. A hundred times more powerful. And we almost never remember to go to that intuitive knowing place in our conditioning, right? So even just putting your hand on your heart will bring you home to your deeper knowing really quickly. I mean, somebody said to me, I'm not a dancer. I can't do this stuff. Well, we're just talking about putting your hand on your heart. <laughs> you don't have to dance, you know, to be embodied. Um, though I can't recommend anything more than dancing <laughs> in terms of the freedom. Um, and I guess one more. Do we have time for one more, Maury? Uh, if it's short, we can... We can do okay. it. If you feel like it oh. rushed, then... Um. I'll give you a, a quick short one from Aikido, and I mean from uh, Qigong. I've done too many different things. All you have to do is raise your arms up to the sky, and it's great if you do it outside. Mm -hmm. And again, you can combine all of these, right? An old, old Qigong exercise. And ask the spirits, the source, the stars, nature, whatever you wish, your higher self, to flood in through your fingertips loving, kind, appreciative energy that says all that is good and true about you again, yeah? And just let it flow down your arms into your heart and hold it there in your heart for 20 seconds, catching that 
happiness, catching that love for 20 seconds. And then you can bring your hands to your heart to close again. So all three of these will weave together. This is Tan Chin. This is never uh, rocking in the arms of love, yes, and hand on heart. And they all just weave together, all different ways of taking just that, talk about time, just a few seconds to tune in to self. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share those. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those with us. And if anyone is listening and you want to see more of a visual, then you can come on the YouTube video for this and, and do it along with us. Yeah. Is there a way where we can um, see more about you and lovingly stalk you? <laughs> Oh, thank you for asking that. Yes, if you go to turningthewheel.org, that's our website, or lanashaw.com. Uh, turningthewheel.org will take you to the work and how to get involved in the work. And every couple of weeks now, um, I'm on Facebook Live, um, and that's at the Turning the Wheel National Facebook page. And on turningtheworld.org, you can sign up for our newsletter, and then you'll get notice of those Facebook Lives, leading various movement and playful moments just for half an hour, um, and journeys, journeys into well-being. So, yeah, come join us on Facebook Live. We're having a good time. Um, and, um, and email us at, at elena at turningtheworld.org if you want to know more. We'd be so happy to connect with you to hear your insights, to partner with you, to collaborate, to build this world together through connection. Nice. Thanks so much. And I'll, I'll put all that info in the notes, in the show notes, um, so people have it written out. Thank you, Elena. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your awesome, calm energy. Thanks for sharing with us today. Thank you for having me. It was really a pleasure. <laughs>